Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 193, part one of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and if you don't know already, you probably saw it's kind of a big deal, this one. I don't often get nervous before an interview, but you'll definitely hear it in my voice in the beginning few minutes of this episode. I was a little bit shaky, a little bit off my game, you know, a little bit uh, nervous. You know, I feel like I just need a little bit of background something here. Hang on. That's a little bit better. So uh, before I introduce today's guest, before I tell you what we talk about, I wanted to share a little bit about Print Design Academy. Now, a few months back, I opened up to beta members and, you know, I had a select crew join and we are building it. We're adding tutorials, we're testing things, we're seeing what works and we're definitely finding out what doesn't. And with this starter crew, it's starting to come together pretty damn cool. Now, I'm going to open up Print Design Academy again in the next uh, few weeks here to give you an opportunity to come in. Now, what is Print Design Academy? Well, it's an online community and training platform specifically about print and print design. Everything from how to request a coat to how to export files. We talk screen print, large format print. We're going to be talking packaging. We got all of these things lumped in here. And with the community surrounding this education platform, you have designers from all over North America that are going to be a part of this, all over the world, in fact, that will all be talking and asking questions and helping each other. It will be an incredibly supportive community of creatives and designers, all wanting to become experts at print design. Now, why the hell would you want to be an expert in print design in this digital world? Well, my guest in this episode actually confirms why it's so important. One, as a freelancer, if you're out there doing your own thing, you can say yes to more projects. Don't just design a logo or a website for your customer. If they need a brochure to go along with it, you need to know how to design for print, how to send files to a printer, how to do that. We will teach you how to do that. And the bonus of it, it means more revenue for you. You can charge more. You have more skills. You have more to offer that customer. You can take on more. If you are looking for that dream in-house job, that dream studio job, I have interviewed dozens of studio owners on the Quickie Podcast, and they all agree if you come in with your resume, with your portfolio, and you know how to communicate with printers, you know print terminology, you know how to design for print, that is a huge asset in your corner. Now, on top of an awesome online training platform and an amazing community, we're going to be printing things and sending them to your door. You will receive mail from Print Design Academy. Awesome stuff giving you printed tools to go out and sell more print. Embossing, foiling, these new print ideas, these awesome print abilities to your customers. It's a lot easier to show them what it would be like rather than describe it to them and describe why you would want to do that. Oh, and we're also going to have a quarterly publication that's going to be arriving at your doorstep as well. Think, you know, the Maker Quarterly, that beautiful mohawk piece that you see all over Instagram once in a while when they release a piece. It's beautiful. It's showcasing amazing print, and we're going to create something like it. A quarterly publication delivered to your door only for members of Print Design Academy. 
So definitely do not wait. Go to printdesignacademy.com. Check out the video there and sign up for the waitlist in the bottom. That will be the first group of people that hear about Print Design Academy being open again. And if you're on that list and you do join when it's open again, I'm going to have a bonus only for members of this list. If you are not on this list by the time I email out to people saying it's open again, you will miss out on the bonus. So printdesignacademy.com, go check it out now. This was fun. This was such a fun interview. I wasn't quite sure what to uh, what to expect. Um, I know that this particular guest is extremely busy and is uh, highly sought after. So the little old quickie podcast um, has quite the big name guest today. So let's get to it. If you haven't seen already, today's guest is Paula Cher. She is a designer and a partner at Pentagram. She's also a painter. She is very creative and very talented and has great stories to share. This is the beginning, that Paula Cher story. We talk about how she did not come from a creative family, a family of scientists, actually. So she was the, kind of the odd one out in the beginning pursuing the creative field. She didn't actually know what graphic design was until college. Paula tells us about the teacher who wasn't very nice to her while she was back in school there and asking, you know, why is she there? Why is she involved in design? What is she trying to do? And then later in her career, actually called her back to speak to his design class. She talks about what that was like. She then also tells us about another teacher, but this teacher was the one that changed her life. She talks about how that all happened. She shares with us the most influential designs and projects that she has seen out there in the world. She shares a very new book that she just saw out and about and she had to buy as soon as she saw it. Talks about why. We also talk about the designers and creatives that she looks up to right now and why. She tells us about the packaging project that she was a part of and why she is so proud of it. And how she arrived on good old-fashioned Swiss Helvetica as the font for this packaging project. And that's where I cut it for this one. I save the nitty-gritty storytelling, the tough periods of her life, the projects that she's the most proud to have been a part of. I save all of that stuff for part two. That's tomorrow. But definitely dive in and hear this beginner story. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. The talented... Amazing storytelling, Paula Cher. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a quickie? Paula, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm doing terrific. So, the first question on the Quickie Podcast is, are you ready for a quickie? Sure. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, why so. Yeah, let's get into the st tough stuff. Uh, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. 
my name is Paula Scher. I live in New York City. I've been married for on and off for 50 years. Uh, I'm a graphic designer. I um, uh, also a painter, and very often a teacher. All of those things. All of those things, and sometimes at the same time. And a partner at Pentagram. Perfect. So being in New York, I was there with my wife back in, uh, we're about two years ago in, in May now. Give me your top three favorite restaurants. Oh, that's hard. I, they change all the time. Right now, I love this place called Sushi Now, which is, is a really a traditional Japanese-style sushi restaurant. Absolutely fantastic sushi. Um, I love Danny Matt Meyer's restaurants. I love uh, Union Square Cafe, and I love Gramercy Tavern, and I love the restaurant, The Modern, that's in MoMA. Um, and I like Shake Shack. Oh, classic. I had my first Shake Shack experience in New York, so I was pretty happy about it. Well, you know, I designed that identity. So, <laughs> I didn't know at the time, but I found out after. Incredible. So I want to dive back into your childhood a little bit here, Paula. What was your childhood like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? Interestingly enough, I was creative in a family that was not especially creative. I had a father and brother who were both scientists, uh, and they were thinkers. They certainly had creative minds. A mother who was a school teacher um, and taught history and certainly prepared me for the civics lessons of today. <laughs> and uh, I was different. And I used to draw and paint in my room, especially when I felt different, when I had family fights or when I went to the hide. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. So you're always drawing when you were younger. Were always. your parents artists? Were they designers? Was there an aunt or an uncle that sort of introduced you to the world a little bit? I didn't know what a designer was till I went to college. I had no idea what, what that was. However, when I was in high school, I was known as being good at art. So I was the high school publicity chairman, and I made all the posters for the proms I never went to. Awesome. So during that time where you're creating these posters for these events that you didn't attend, were you at all thinking, there's something here, there's some, some talent here, maybe I should pursue this? I knew I wanted to go to art school. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be an artist. I didn't know what kind of an artist I wanted to be. I just, I had, when I was in high school, and junior high school, I used to take three buses down into Washington, D.C. Uh, I, I grew up in suburban Maryland. Mm -hmm. And I'd go to the Corcoran uh, School of Art, and I would take Saturday classes in drawing and painting with other people. Some of them were adults. There were all kinds of people there doing drawing and painting, and I was re really happy in that environment. So I knew I wanted to go to art school. So you wanted to pursue art. Was there a mentor or somebody along that path that, pointed out the world of graphic design to you after seeing your, your skills, or how did you come to that world? It was very simple. I went to Tyler, and I was terrible at anything. I did <laughs> a graphic design course. I, he tried everything. In the first two years, I had this. As a matter of fact, in my freshman year, I had something called uh, basic design, which was uh, really the beginning of Swiss-oriented graphic design, and you had a black square, and you moved it out of, around a page, and uh, you know you made white-on-white -white designs. None of these things had messages. It was really craft and sort of learning spatial relationships. I had a teacher named Bob Stein, and he just thought I was terrible because I was so messy. And 
at the end of the course, I thought, well, I'm never going to do anything like this. And I, he said, he said to me, why are you here? And I said, because I want to be an artist. And he said, cooking is an art. Complete, you know, <laughs> down at the time. And years later, I, when I was working at CBS Records, he, he called me up and asked me to come down and talk to his classes. At that time, it was uh, at the School for the Arts in Philadelphia. And, you know, he wasn't very nice to me, but I thought it'd be great to go back and see what that class was like. And I wondered what he'd say to me. And he introduced me to the class, and he said uh, that I was now a graphic designer in New York designing record covers. And he said, I can take no credit for her success whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you or him elaborate on the story on how, how the first relationship happened or ended? I don't really, I don't really recall. It was just so funny that it, it, it sort of became pointless. And, and, you know, I was there to talk to the students about their futures. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I told the class I was sloppy. I was. I was just, I was just the sloppiest designer there ever was. Mm-hmm. And then in my third year, I had a teacher named Stephen Tarantell, and I took a course called Graphic Design, and I liked it because it was about ideas. And you made posters, which I was—I had already always made posters. I made them in high school, mm-hmm. and posters had ideas in them. But I didn't know when I was making the school posters that I was being a graphic designer. I thought I was making art on these posters that had messages and had funny images, and and uh, I made jokes with them. And then I then I was doing it for real in a design class. And then in my uh, junior year, I majored in design, and I had a teacher who changed my life, which was Stanislaw Sigorski. And he um, he got me to understand typography. See, that's that's the key I was looking for. Who was the, the somebody flicked that switch and opened up that world for you? That's fantastic. What happened was my my messiness was always terrible mm-hmm. my thinking was good and i would be he would assign things like a book cover or a record jacket or a poster or a, a book a whole book and i i would work with the technology of the time which was press type and what the kids in class did is they all had learned a little bit of swiss modernism and they take the helvetica and they'd rub it down seemed like every the only font that came in press type was either universe or helvetica you would rub it down at the corner, and, and they would have all their type flush left, rag right, very tight, very neat, and I would do the same thing, and mine would bubble and crack, and the lines would never be straight. And my illustrations and my ideas were good, uh, but the type was terrible. So I, and Mr. Zagorski, who had a very thick po- uh, Polish ac- ac- accent, said, image good typography terrible. <laughs> Say that to me all the time. And finally, he said to me, illustrate with type. And he said those three words, and he gave me my whole career. Because I suddenly realized that the things had form, and they had spirit, and you could actually compose images with them, or you could set a tone with them, and that that the possibilities were really limitless, and it was an incredible gift. What a beautiful moment. The teacher with the thick Polish accent just lit the world up. He lit everybody's world up, actually. He was known for it. And he, he would say things like, you, you wanted his approval so much, he, he would say things like, uh, probably you should do over for me better. 
<laughs> you know, you hear that and you go, oh, and you knew he was right. <laughs> I think your Polish accent is on point, Paula. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I can do. I, it still sticks in my head. Awesome. Um, Paula, what stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you since? That's a good question. Um, there are a lot of things that have stayed with me for various reasons. And um, thing, what's easier for me to talk about is really the work I do in 3D and the things that influence me there because, because I remember them because they were so rare. In graphic design, I would have to say, obviously, pushpin. Um, and uh, I married Seymour Quast, and he taught me how to see. Um, and at Milton and Seymour, when I were in college, when I was in college, were my heroes. You know that their work was amazing, and uh, you know so that so much of that stuff for me is iconic, and I remember it. I was less interested in, in Paul Rand. I appreciated him more later. Um, but the artists and the thinking of Pushpin Studios in the '60s were fantastic. And also Victor Moscuso, who did Psychedelia and did a lot of the Fillmore work in the in the 60s. And, of course, I thought that was great. But um, things that I remember that were more accidental were things that I saw on the street. And uh, Burma Shave signs. When I was a kid, there was Burma Shave advertising. There was signs and sequences that told you a narrative. There was a type on buildings. Like I remember taking the train from New York to Philadelphia and you would see this beautiful neon sign on the bridge over the um, Delaware River that said, Trenton makes, the world takes. <laughs> to New York City and there would be a sign for the Holland Tunnel with the biggest type I ever saw in my life. It just said Holland Tunnel spaced out across where the cars came and I was so small and it was so big. And then living in New York, I would see these crazy cryptic pieces of graffiti around the city. There was one when you drove through Park Avenue and there was handwriting on the wall and it said, instant this, instant that. I think it was all caps, but it was sort of done in the scripty kind of graffiti style. Mm -hmm. Another one called Wheels Over Indian Trails. And that was over the Midtown Tunnel when you came into Manhattan. And it was like a piece of poetry. And I always wondered who put it there, and I never found out until very recently because um, I was being given an award by the Society of Environmental Graphic Designers, and they asked me to talk about my influences, in which I just told you about. And I wanted to be able to show a picture of this thing, and I couldn't. I went online to find it, and I found it. And there, you know, if you Google instant this, instant that, or wheels over Indian trails, it actually can come up on your computer screen. Awesome. So it's and there's a real artist whose name I've since forgotten, but there was a person who did it, and apparently there were a lot of them, and there was a lot of writing about them, and it was kind of amazing. But that was something I saw in the 70s and the 80s, and when street graphics were really very prevalent. I remember silence equals death as a, a, a graphic uh, system that worked uh, to, you know, 
it was AIDS activism is to make people aware of, of, of the AIDS community and, and what was going on in, in the gay community. And these things were very powerful because you came upon them seemingly accidentally and you were always sort of mystified by them at first and then, then, then drawn to them. Beautiful. Um, so that's some of the, the past influences that you have. I'm going to go a little bit off the question document here and ask what is the piece of design or art that you have seen most recently that really lit you up and made you smile? Could be street art. It could be a company rebrand. It's really hard. Um, there's uh, this guy I saw who came from Brooklyn and I bought his book and I don't remember his name. Can you wait one minute? Please, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to get it. I'm going to show it to yeah, you. Yeah, I'm very interested to see it. Oh, cool. I'm sorry to send you running around. This is Sam, Sam Reiser. And his work is stupendous. Let me see if I can I just find a favorite page if I can. I like them all. Can you get that? Oh, absolutely. That's incredible. I mean, he, he, he's an illustrator and a typographer. He does a lot of work in the music industry, yeah. which I didn't even know. Um, I came upon him at Rizzoli's when I was buying Christmas gifts, and I, I bought a lot of these. But they're just, they're just phenomenal. I want to see if I can. And then he does these really crazy, obsessive illustrations with them. Wow. See, what you might not know is print. I love print. I am extremely passionate about print. And anything... You know, I love seeing things on. Holy cow, that's incredible! Seeing seeing something printed is just incredible. And buy the book online, and it comes from a, a music company. I forgot the name of the company. If you just Google Sam Riser, welcome to the drippy drip dripper world of sound and vision by Sam Riser. <laughs> Beautiful, Sam Riser. Yeah, R Y S E R. Awesome! Look at that. Sam Reiser, you just got a shout out from Paula Cher. Beautiful. So the next question I have is a unique one to be asking you, because when I ask this question on the show, a lot of guests will say the work of Paula Cher and Pentagram. So now, Paula, I want to hear from you. Who are some of the designers or brands that you look up to and closely follow now? And what about them do you like? Well, uh, I have to think about it in terms of the, the folks I look up to, all of my partners. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, my partner, Michael Beirut, of course. Um, my partner, Emily Overman, who I think is doing amazing branding right now. Uh, Luke Kamen, who is just the best editorial designer I know, except for my newest partner, Matt Willie, who's just astounding. He used to do the Sunday Times Magazine and join Pentagram. Georgia Lupi, who does incredible personalized data visualization, Eddie O'Para, who's a genius in just about every area, Natasha Jen, who's one of the most elegant designers I know, my partner, Michael Gericke, who has been doing environmental graphics and really showed me the way, and Abbott Miller, who is Mr. Elegant. What can I say? Beautiful. They're the best. They're the best. And the ones in London are pretty amazing, too. And the list is so long, I'm not going to do it. But my (laughs) partner, who's a new join, is one of the best typographers I know. Yeah, see, it's a long list, but what I appreciate that about is you know the list and you could do the list. <laughs> now, these people are, are, I'm very lucky because I'm around very talented people all the time and that 
I can walk out into the space that's print pentagram where the designers all sit, and there are about 70 of them on computers, and you see something terrific on every screen. And you see things in works, and then you see how they change, and you just learn, you learn a lot, and that it's great to be around great people. So what would you say is the most fulfilling part of your role at Pentagram? I like um, my interaction with my partners. I'm on something called the Legal and Finance Committee, which sounds like it's just managing money, but it's really about um, how the partners are doing. So I get to know how they're doing and how they're feeling and can talk to them about it. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it plugs you into the rest of the business and keeps everybody communicating and in tune with one another. Well, it's you know it manages relationships. We don't have there isn't a Mister Pentagram. There's no there's no head. There's no leader. You know, so sometimes people don't know where to go, or or you um, uh, sometimes you're having a really rough spell, like you might not be getting enough business, or you feel like you feel like things are tough on you or you maybe have just joined or, you know, there are all types of things like that. So, you know, I, I want to be part of the group in that way and be helpful. Mm-hmm. All right, Paula. So the next question I have for you takes, um, or talks a little bit about print and packaging. And I want to hear how you have utilized print and packaging in your career and any stories or special projects that you've been a part of that you're really proud of. Well, I worked on a, a packaging system that I love called Dr. Jart, uh, which is um, uh, a cosmetic company in Korea. And I worked with a, a fellow I know named Peter Vrakovich, who actually worked for me for a period of time. He's a product designer. And he worked for me for about a year and a half working on environmental graphics because he was in between jobs. And he had a wonderful way of dealing with materiality and dealing with form. And it was very exciting working with him. The, the typography is totally neutral. It's, it's just Swiss Helvetica, which I rarely use, uh, because the packaging and the shapes of the packages really um, were beautiful, and the forms were great to hold in your hand. I love, I love these, uh, this series, and I'm really proud to have been part of it. Definitely. So was that a surprising moment to you when you arrived on that Swiss Helvetica? No, it was the it was the only choice because anything else you would do would be you didn't want to compete with the form, you didn't want to you, and you the best way it was a you know a, a white white packaging with a yellow top. Uh, I hope you have an image of it from the Pentagram site. I'll pull it up uh, for sure. And and you just didn't want to you didn't want to go against that packaging. Um, the the odd they were objects that you wanted to hold in your hand. I mean, we did other things with it, like there was this, this plus symbol they had that we made. Uh, it has the ability to tell you what kind of product it is, so it sort of illustrates whether it's for, you know, making smaller pores or, or, or smooth softening skin or whatever the thing is that the, that the, the, the equipment does, the, uh, the product. Mm-hmm. The package itself is so smart in the way it opens and the way it stands and the way you use it. It's both utilitarian and beautiful. So I love doing that. That was great. That's a great one. So I'm going to share pictures of that so people can see exactly which ones that uh, we're talking about here. All right, Paula, the next couple of questions take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I'm going to just 
pull you through some of that and share those stories and the lessons learned with the listeners. Um, in the end, I'll turn it around and we'll end in a happy place. What has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? The most challenging time was... And cut. That is the end of part one of my interview with Paula Scher. Thank you so much for listening. Part two goes up tomorrow. That's when the real stories come out, the lessons learned, the struggles, the challenges, the most rewarding projects, the oh, all of it. Don't miss part two tomorrow. See you then. Bye.